The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, this Thursday, we celebrate the 402nd Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Many of you all know the story, I'm sure. But as the story goes, the first Thanksgiving took place around circa October 1621, when a group of Puritan pilgrims had migrated from England to the New World and had settled in a place called Plymouth Colony in New England. After much time living on the ships that they had come over during the winter, these pilgrims chose to celebrate their newfound religious freedom and their first harvest. And so this celebration, it took place alongside approximately 90, I'm going to get the name wrong, but 90 Wapanoag Indians. They were, they were members of the local tribe and they, they taught the settlers how to cultivate the land, how to fish the rivers. And these two groups, then they came together to enjoy a celebratory feast of thankfulness to God for his provision in the new world. And yet while this dinner of Thanksgiving, it began 402 years ago, uh, and that's the reason why we stuff our face uh, this Thursday with turkey. Now, the practice of expressing thankfulness to God, it is one that stems from the very beginning. And so this morning in our passage, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 14 through 18. But in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul instructs us how to biblically practice gratitude in our lives. This morning, we will see the precept of gratitude, the path of gratitude, and also finally, the purpose of our gratitude. The precept, the path, and the purpose of our gratitude. With that being said, let's read God's word. God's word says this, do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing, That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. With me, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with thankfulness to you. As we just sung, Father, we praise you for your salvation. Father, we praise you for your provision. We praise you for the fact that we will spend all eternity in your presence. There's no greater blessing than that than to behold your glory for all eternity. And so until until that day, Father, I pray that you would realign our hearts, you would convict us where needed this morning, and that you would give us a concerted and a committed desire to live with gratitude unto your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, look with me at verse 14. Look with me. Notice uh, uh, before that, look, I'm sorry, at verse 12. Notice the two preceding verses from our passage where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul says we are to do that because it is 
God who works within us, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. And so Paul then says, this is the way you are to work out your own salvation. You're to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Because the almighty God of the universe, he is at work within you. And so do you notice that word there all in verse 14? It's interesting that the Greek word that is translated as all there in verse 14, it means, get this, in the, Greek, in the original Greek, it means all, right? All things. And sometimes we, we try to work our ways, we try to step our ways around certain words in the Bible. But Paul says this, in all things, in every sphere of your life, in every moment of your day, you are to live with a heart of thankfulness to God. And notice that word also at the very beginning, to do. It's an imperative, a command, right? And then we'll do a quick word study here and then we'll uh, continue. But notice also grumbling, that word grumbling. That that word is a fun word in the original language. The original word is gagusman, right? Gagusman. Doesn't that even sound like you're grumbling when you would say that? Gagusman, right? It just sounds gross. It's this idea of murmuring, of muttering, a a general attitude of sullen discontentment in in the spirit of complaining. And so Paul says here that we are to do all things without gagusman or disputing. Now we're disputing. It's first and foremost, right? When we dispute, we bring an accusation against someone, don't we? And so what Paul is saying here, when we grumble, when we complain, when we live with a heart of discontentment and dissatisfaction. First and foremost, we are bringing a dispute against God himself. When we grumble, we are in effect bringing an accusation against the providential goodness of God. Which means when we complain, when we are ungrateful, when when those unspoken feelings of discontentment begin to take root in your heart, what we are telling God is that we don't believe he is sovereign. We, we don't believe that he is good and we don't believe that he is all wise and all that he does. And maybe just again to paint the picture, the contextual picture here, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. He, he was unjustly imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And so when he writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing, he writes with a little bit of credibility, Right? And if that weren't enough, just the unjust imprisonment, we could go to 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul just, he talks about, these are all the ways that I have suffered for the sake of Christ. And yet he says, despite all of that, no matter what season of life you might find yourself in, you can still and you must still do all things without grumbling or disputing. We can almost hear him say through his pen, it's possible, it's possible. I know it's possible because I've lived it out. I've lived through the worst situations of unjust suffering. And still my heart can be grateful to God for his presence and his goodness, even in the bleakest of circumstances. So he's, he's admonishing the Philippian church and us today that no matter where you might find yourself, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, I, I don't know if you've noticed it, but within the past oh, maybe 10 or 15 years or so, that there has been a cultural emphasis on the power of positive thinking. 
Anybody else notice that? There, there's been a big push and an emphasis on the power of positive thinking. And this has stemmed from a, an upswell of New Age spiritualism taking pervasive root within our subculture. And, and so within this positive thinking mindset, one of the key monikers that are being pushed is this idea of practicing gratitude. And, and so one article that I, that I read, it referenced some research that a psychologist did, which you know, just as your pastor, I want to encourage you um, not, not to place a whole lot of stock in psychological research. Uh, while psychology is seen as the law today in our hyper-individualistic hyper culture, most, if not all, modern psychology, it builds upon faulty premises that are in direct contradiction to the truth of God's word. And so don't place a whole lot of stock in modern psychology. But with that being said, one psychologist, he noted that gratitude, it can help you make friends. It can help improve your physical health. It can improve your psychological health. It can enhance your empathy and reduce aggression. It can help improve your sleep. It can enhance your self-esteem. And it can increase your mental strength. And so I, th- I think it's a bit amazing how the world is just now picking up on the benefits it, it, there are in obedience to God's word. There, there's benefits to obeying God's word. But, but this same article, it provided 13 different ways to practice gratitude. Either practicing gratitude to others, and catch this, you can also, I guess, practice gratitude to yourself, which seems a bit ironic, um, or you can practice gratitude to the universe as a whole. Um, and so these 13 ways of practicing gratitude, they're various ways, ultimately, to encourage you to live an optimistic lifestyle. And why do I share that? I say that to say, while the, world's, while the world encourages you to practice gratitude by living optimistically, just, just see that other part of the glass that's half full. Don't, don't focus on the half empty side. Just, just focus on the half full. Well, that's the way the world teaches you to practice gratitude. God teaches that the way to practice gratitude, it's not the way of optimism, but it's the way of obedience. It's not willing yourself to live more optimistically. It's joyfully submitting to Christ as Lord over all things in your life and living more obediently to what he has revealed in his word. That's how we practice gratitude. And notice how the world expresses their gratitude. The world can say, I'm grateful for these things. But only the, only the Christian can insert those two words into the statement that we are grateful to God for, insert the blank. In other words, a non-Christian can be grateful for their circumstances. But a Christian can be grateful to God despite the circumstances he or she faces in life. And so do you see the difference in orientation there, right? One orientation is pointed outward, while the other orientation of gratitude is pointed upward to God. Many, many times in life, we make light of complaining, don't we? Right? We, we know it's better if we don't complain, right? People don't usually like to be us around a whole lot if we do complain. But, but ultimately, it's not that big of a deal if we do. And we make light of it because it's so easy to do. It's easy to complain. It's easy to join in with those who are complaining. But just to highlight the significance that God places in the danger, in the detriment of complaining. Let's read the converse of verses 14 through 15. If we were to flip verses 14 through 15 inside out, it would say maybe something along the lines of this. That if you do all things, if you do things with grumbling and disputing then you will be defective and guilty, living as children of the dark 
dirty and stained, just like this crooked and twisted generation, among whom you reflect the darkness of the world and forsake the world, the word of life. This, according to Paul, is the condition we live in when we complain and we choose in gratitude. We just we're walking in the ways of the world. We're speaking the language of the world. And so when you're tempted to complain and to grumble, maybe maybe to personalize it a bit and to confess the failures of your pastor. The next time I'm asked to help a family member the morning of an opening, uh, the morning of opening day deer rifle season, uh, will I respond joyfully and saying, I would be, I would love to help you, which is what I should have done. Or will I respond with grumbling? Oh man, I, I, I've been looking forward to this all year and I'm not going to get to do it. Right. There's just those quiet complaints within the heart, which is what I shamefully did. Right. So this, this passage this morning, it's a rebuke to my own heart. And I hope it is maybe to yours as well. We are to do all things big and small without grumbling or disputing. This isn't a suggestion or a recommendation. And it's not caveated only with only if your personality type falls in line with this optimistic nature. No, this is a command of almighty God to you this morning. It's a command from the one who gave his all for you and who now reigns as Lord over all things and Lord over your life. He has commanded you, church, to do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing. And so the question becomes, will you walk in obedience or in rebellion to God's clear command? Or maybe to put it more directly, would you say, is your Christ or are your circumstances the Lord of your life? Which one dictates how you respond to life situations? Your Christ who has commanded you or your circumstances that you face. I want to encourage you, choose this day whom you will serve. May we say along with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve not my feelings, not my circumstances. No, we will serve the Lord. And so no matter whether you are experiencing a pleasant or a bitter providence right now, I want to encourage you to hear and to heed the word of the Lord that it is possible and you are commanded to do all things without grumbling or disputing. But notice always, church, if God ever gives a command in Scripture, he will always give a promise. He will always enable you to fulfill that command. And that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the path of gratitude. Read with me verse 16. Paul says this, that we are to do this while holding fast to the word of life. Paul shows us that the way we fight for gratitude in life, it's by holding fast to the word of life. That that phrase, word of life, it's another way to say the word of the gospel. And so need I say it again, church? I say it every single Sunday because it bears repeating and it bears reminding so that way we do this every day. But we must daily, daily, daily remind ourselves of the gospel, of who Christ is, what he has done to save us from our sins, who we now are in him and what is ours now for all eternity. We must daily remind ourselves of the truths and the benefits of the gospel. We must daily fix our eyes on Jesus as our greatest treasure and greatest reward in life. And we must daily remind ourselves that when we have Jesus and when the king of glory has made us his own, when we have Jesus, we have all that we need in 
this life. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians 4, not that I'm speaking of being in need, because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says, this is the key. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this. No matter what I face in life, no matter what you face in life, church, whether material abundance or privation, whether physical health or sickness, whether mental tranquility or distress, no matter what I face, Paul's saying, my heart holds fast to the word of life and my soul rests content in the one who has made me his own. Therefore, I can do all things. I can endure all things through him who strengthens me. The key to thankfulness, to a life of gratitude, Paul says in Philippians 4, and also by virtue of our passage, is the key to it all is contentment. A thankful heart is a content heart. In in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, it's an old book. Um, The oldies are the goodies, though. Uh, It's an old book, but a good book. Jeremiah Burroughs, he said this. He said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly care in every situation. Did you catch that? Christian contentment, it rests in God's wise and fatherly care in every situation that you face. In other words, the heart that is, that is content rests in the truth that whatever may befall me in life, I trust that this is the best and the wisest way for God to form me more into the image of Christ. God does not make mistakes and he does not misstep and he wastes nothing. No, he is working both in your prosperity and in your pain for a greater purpose. Listen, church, if there was a better and wiser way for God to make you more Christ-like, he would have done it. And so the contented heart, it rests and it rejoices in the sovereignty, the providence, the goodness, and the wisdom of your heavenly Father. Or as the old hymn written by Fanny Crosby, who was blind from birth, she endured suffering. Her, Her hymn, it says it this way. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know, this is the key, for I know that whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. This is the contented heart. That come what may, when you lose a loved one, and when you get the news of that diagnosis, When you're battling chronic pain, when you go through the sorrow of a miscarriage, when you're being laid off from your job, or when the doctor breaks that news to you that you're, in our case, that our kiddo is partially deaf. Through eyes full of tears and with a heart full of pain, you can say, I may not understand all that God is doing, but I know this, Jesus, he does all things well. And therefore, my heart can rest content in him. If you're a person maybe who naturally struggles with complaining, or maybe you found yourself fighting through a season of discontentment, 
I want to encourage you that whenever you sense those feelings of ingratitude beginning to build within, repeat that refrain and remind yourself, Jesus does all things well. Jesus, he does all things well. This pain is not pointless. No, it is forming me more into the image of the one who suffered to the point of death for me. And so when you begin to question the goodness of God, whether he sees, whether he knows, whether he cares, in those times they will come, right? They will come when you begin to question. I want to encourage you. Remember, Jesus, he does all things well. And then secondly, look to the cross where he proved he does all things well. A pastor of old, J.C. Ryle, he once said this in his book, The Cross, which I commend to you. He said, could I learn how to be contented and cheerful under all the cares and anxieties of life? What, What school would I go to? How shall I attain this state of mind most easily? Shall I consider the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, the providence of God, the love of God? He says, it's good to do those things, to think upon those. He says this, but I have a better argument. I will look to the cross of Christ. I feel that he who did not spare his only begotten son, but delivered him up for me for to die for me, he will surely with him give me all things that I need. He who endured that pain for my soul will surely not withhold from me anything that is good. He who has done the greater things for me will doubtless do the lesser things also. He who gave his own blood to procure me a home will unquestionably supply me with all that is profitable for me along the way. And he ends by saying this, there is no school for learning contentment that can be compared with the foot of the cross. Listen, when your heart longs for more of this world, there will remain a, 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 a restlessness and a spirit of discontentment within you. But when you look to the cross of Christ and when you long for more of him, A banquet of peace and contentment and joy is spread right before you. When we hold fast to the word of life, to the gospel, not only do we find contentment there, Paul teaches us also that we will find and experience joy as well. Look with me at verse 17 and 18 where Paul says this, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And and so even in being poured out in sacrificial service to the Philippian church, Paul says this, I am glad to do so. And it brings me joy to be poured out for you. He was able to have this heart of mind because he constantly remembered who he was before Christ. And what he deserved from God for his sins. He could rejoice in all things because he remembered who he was before God saved him. Listen, church family, there's nothing that robs our contentment like a spirit of entitlement, right? Nothing that robs our contentment more than a spirit of entitlement. So it is good for us to remember that there is only one thing that we deserve from God. And that is hell, right? And so everything else we receive from his hand is grace upon grace. And so Paul constantly dwelled upon and rejoiced in the gospel that by grace, a former persecutor of the church was now a child of the living God. And so I wanted to encourage you this morning, never, never, never get over the astonishing and the lavish grace of God that he has shown you through the gospel. 
how you have been pardoned of all your sins, how you've been brought brought back into a right relationship with God, how you've been adopted as his son or his daughter, how you've been given the Holy Spirit to live within you, you and how you are homebound now for heaven. What grace God has shown us. If he were to give you nothing else, and he does, but if he were to give you nothing else, we would, be, we would have been given much more than we need to rejoice all of our days for the grace he has shown us. Listen, a heart that is tuned by grace is a heart that can rejoice in all things. A heart that is tuned by grace is a heart that can rejoice in all things. When we hold fast to the word of life, we will see and we will find storehouses of contentment and joy. This is, Paul says, the path of gratitude. Finally, this morning, we will see not only the precept of gratitude, not only the path of gratitude, but finally the purpose of gratitude. Why we are to pursue gratitude in life. Paul says in verse 15 that grumbling and disputing and arguing, these things, they can damage our witness and they dampen our distinctiveness in the world. Or Jesus, how he would put it, he would say, you are the salt of the earth. But, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored, right? And he, and he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. He says this in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and why? That they may give glory to your Father in heaven. The reason we practice gratitude, the reason we live lives of gratefulness to God is because it promotes our witness. And so when, when, since we're about to have our Thanksgiving dinner here soon and because food is on my mind, uh, I, I'm going to ask the question in this way. What, what, what are the distinct spices of your speech? What would you say are the ingredients, the distinct spices of your speech? Would you say there would be something along the lines of blamelessness, purity, gratitude, joy? Or would they be the spices of murmuring, grumbling, pessimism, negativity, and complaining? What, what, what's the flavor of speech that the world encounters from your lips? When, when you're talking to your coworker about your busy workload or your neighbor, when you're talking about all the leaves you have to rake up this time of year, or your church members, your fellow church members about this change or that change in the church. Or when you're talking to a family member about a certain situation in life. When you speak, does your speech shine forth like a bright star against a dark sky? Listen, church, the way we shine as lights, Paul says, is by the speech of our lips. Thankfulness makes our witness brighter in a dark and complaining world. But a grumbling spirit and a complaining spirit, it causes our witness to lose its effectiveness. It's like, as Jesus said, it's like salt that has lost its saltiness. Or maybe to say the same thing more positively, when we begin to speak a different language than the world does. When we begin to pepper our speech with gratefulness to God, you will get to experience gospel opportunities that you would not have seen before. One of my favorite things to do, which I used to do very frequently and I need to do more of, 
But, but it's, you know, in those casual conversations when you're at the grocery store and the, the grocer is checking you out, like now they're all automated. But in, in the olden days, back when you had to talk to a person while they were checking you out, uh, or when you call the customer service line and they ask you, how's your day going? How are you doing? Well, one way to shine forth as a light is by responding in this way. I'm doing much better than I deserve. I'm much, doing much better than I deserve. That, that question will always, I promise you, will always catch somebody off guard. And, it, and that response has allowed me to share the gospel many times and has given those opportunities that I would not have had beforehand. It's just in those small interactions. How can we shine as lights in the world? And so why do, why do we cultivate a heart that is grateful to God? It's not just for our worship to God. And it's not just for our own well-being. No, we do so because it's one of the greatest ways to shine as lights in a dark, in a twisted, in a crooked generation, Paul says. And so when someone tempts you to join them in complaining about how the culture is going to hell in a handbasket or about how your work is terrible or your season of providence is distressing, whatever it may be, when someone tempts you to join in complaining, don't take the bait. Instead, see it as an opportunity to A, hold fast to the word of life, and to B, then speak words of gratitude and praise in a way that gives glory to your Father in heaven. We can either join in with the world with a complaining spirit, or we can witness to the world with hearts of gratitude to God for his amazing grace. And so during this Thanksgiving week, when you'll be enjoying plates full of fixings and days full of family time and watching football. Listen, church, what an amazing opportunity we have to witness to our family members who don't yet know Christ. Proverbs 18, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so this week, I want to encourage you to be life-giving in your conversations with your family members with the aim and the purpose of through that being able to share with them the word of life the good news that Jesus can rescue them from their sin and he can give them eternal life. We are called to witness with our words, both when we share the gospel and also in the everyday conversations of life. So that's why Paul says that in all things, in all things, we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world as we hold fast to the word of life let's pray thank you for listening to today's sermon if you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way please connect with us at newlifeba.org